All right, Mosaic, if you're not already standing, would you stand with me as we read the scripture for today? And just like we've done before, after I read the scripture, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll respond with thanks be to God. Listen as I read Luke 6, 17 through 26. He went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea, from Jerusalem, and from the coastal region around the Tyre and Sidon, who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. Looking at his disciples, he said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, because great is your reward in heaven. For that is how the ancestors treated the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Man, it is really, really good to be here with you. I hope that you all are doing well. Um, my name's Adam, part of the teaching team here at Mosaic, and just want to extend a welcome to those in this space. Also, a welcome to those watching in other places. Uh, so glad to be here with you. I, I've got a bit of, of a good news, bad news situation as, as we're starting off into opening scripture. Uh, the good news is that the sun is out, which I love. I have been outdoors, um, other than sleeping, for the last 48 hours, filling the solar panels of my heart and just taking it in. The bad news is, it's also allergy season, and I am prone to really bad allergies, and I sneeze very loud, and I have a microphone strapped to my face. You have been sufficiently warned, just so you know. No, I'm, I'm excited to be opening scripture. I love this passage. I love where it leads us. I love what Jesus says. And um, I actually want to start a little bit differently this morning. Um, this, this passage is significant for several reasons, but, but one of the significant things about this passage is it's the words of Jesus to humanity. It's the words of Jesus to all of humanity, from the poor to the rich any station that they're at, anything that they're experiencing in life. This past week, I um, had the chance to be a part of a, a Zoom call meeting, and it was with some people I know and some people I don't know and, and from different places in the country. And as we were, were meeting, we were discussing just kind of the context that we're in and what the experience of the last two years has been like just kind of the constant events and challenges. It seems one after another after another. And as we are sharing, I began to notice like, like themes, themes of, of people feeling weary and tired, 
uh, themes of people feeling confused or anxious about the future or, or upset or questioning and doubting and, and all of these things. And, and as I was sitting with this group of people just realizing for many of us, that's some of the experiences that we're walking into this place or that we're, we're in our homes um, live streaming from. That, that for many of us, we might feel weary or tired or, or burdened or concerned or worried about the future. And, and I just want to start our time when we're opening scripture, these words of Jesus, by saying that, that that's okay to bring that here. That's always been the case and will always be the case. That we believe we can come fully with what we're experiencing to meet with Jesus. And so as we get ready to, to, to look at these words that Jesus teaches, I actually want to start just by praying and inviting us to lean in to this message that Jesus has in, in Luke. So let me pray. Jesus, thank you for the power in your words, um, that they're, they're not just passing words, but they contain the power to transform life, um, that you've given us this direction, that, that you've invited us into this kingdom of yours. And, and so I pray this morning as we open scripture, as we look at this, this message that you had for, for the people listening around you, but for the people of, of all time, that we would open the eyes and the ears of our heart to fully be present with you, to know that you have the words of life and that you invite us to come and meet you fully where we are with everything that we're facing, and you are faithful to meet us and to bring us life. And so we pray that. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. If you've got your Bible, turn Luke chapter 6. We're going to start in 17. Uh, you can follow along on the screens. A little bit of context. Uh, Jesus, in, in the previous chapters in Luke that we've been journeying through, um, we've, we've seen Jesus displaying some of his power uh, through healing and miraculous things that he is doing. Uh, we've seen some of his teaching in synagogues and in homes and his interactions with religious leaders. Uh, we've seen Jesus starting to call disciples to himself, saying, hey, come, follow me. And now we're seeing Jesus begin some of his more public ministry. This, this is the Sermon on the Plain um, much like the Sermon on the Mount that we read about in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And this is Jesus now kind of going into the next level of his public proclamation of who he is and what he has come to earth to do. And it says this in 17. He, being Jesus, went down with them and stood on a level place. A large crowd of his disciples was there, and a great number of people from all over Judea and Jerusalem and from the coastal regions of Tyre and Sidon who had come to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. Those troubled by impure spirits were cured, and the people all tried to touch him because power was coming from him and healing them all. So this amazing scene of, of, of Jesus in this, this place, it's kind of like a plane, a, a big flat place, and people have come, his disciples have come, and they've come to experience Jesus. People are being healed. People dealing with diseases and impure spirits are finding healing and freedom. And it says that power is coming from this person. I think it's interesting that the, the person who wrote uh, Luke in Acts, you might remember, has written them as a letter to someone named Theophilus to convince them of who Jesus is and his story. And he chooses this word power, which, which we get our same word dynamite from, the same root word. 
And it's, it's not just an authority, it's an innate power that he is teeming with possibility and freedom in life. Now put yourself for a moment on this plane with Jesus' disciples, listening to his teaching and seeing him teeming with power, transformative, amazing power. They're pushing in. They want to touch him. They want to be near him. They want to experience this power for themselves. And isn't this true of you and I today? That we want to experience the power that Jesus has to bring healing, to bring safety and clarity into our lives. They're leaning in to experience this Jesus and to hear him, to hear his teaching. Because he's not just teaching kind of moralistic ideas or codes. He's not just teaching a political aspiration or idea. He's actually talking about the kingdom that he's bringing. This idea of the, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven shows up a bunch in the book of Luke. And, and it's the mission behind Jesus that he is arriving and he is uh, bringing with him the kingdom of God. Now, the idea, idea of kingdoms for us is, uh, could be a little foreign, right? We, we don't live under a king or under a monarchy. We live uh, in, in, in a different society um, than that. But, but the idea of kingdoms might not be far further than we think. Like, really what makes up a kingdom? It's a several uh, kind of basic things. One, there's, there's borders. There's outside of a kingdom and, and inside of a kingdom. Whether that's a physical kingdom or not, there, there's some kind of, of transition point of, of going from outside the kingdom, inside the kingdom. There's, there's culture and customs, a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of behaving, norms that people would know inside that kingdom. There's some kind of commerce or exchanging of goods and valuable things. And there's, there's authority, right? You can't have a kingdom without a king. And so we, if we take that concept of kingdom, the idea of kingdom is actually not that far away. I'll give you an example. I hail from the kingdom of Vancouver. That's my home, right? We, we have borders. This morning, I drove across a big, wide river. On one side of that river is Portland. The other side of that river is, is Vancouver. There's, there's a border there. We have customs and culture all our own. You might not know that, but we do. Some of my loving Portland friends call Van Vancouver Vantucky. And I, I think that that's said in love, but I'm not so sure. But, but there's a culture there. There's, there, there, there is norms that, that are unique. Uh, there is commerce there. Um, there. There is trade that happens there. There is authority there. there. There is a kingdom represented. In fact, there's kingdoms all of our world. Some of them physical, many of them not. Many kingdoms, influences, ways of thinking, ways of being, and authorities in our world that vie for our citizenship, that want us to lean in and to be part, that want us to step over that boundary into that kingdom, that way of thinking, that way of being, and be submissive to that authority. Jesus has come bringing his kingdom. His unseen, unphysical kingdom is arriving to the world, and he's describing it to the people listening. I want to read this, in, um, this is in John chapter 19, uh, 18. It, last week we went through um, Holy Week, and on Good Friday we read about Jesus being on trial with Pilate. And, and this is actually John's gospel and his, uh, his account of this, but it gives us insight to this kingdom that Jesus is bringing. It says this in verse 36, 1836. 
Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into this world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus has come to bring his unseen kingdom to this world. And the people who are listening to this sermon, who are listening to the words that he is sharing, are listening to him describe this kingdom that's arriving. And it's different. And it's upside down. And it's backwards from all the other kingdoms that they know. You'd remember that the, the people that he is speaking to, their nation has actually been conquered by a different nation. They're controlled by Rome. They're controlled by an emperor who they will probably never see, who does not live where they live. They are a conquered people. They know about powerful, authoritative kingdoms. And yet, as Jesus begins to describe his kingdom, it's clear that it's upside down. It's backwards. It's a different value system than the kingdoms of the world. It's a different kind of authority than the kingdoms of this world. And we see this theme over and over again throughout Scripture, that what seems strong to the world is weakness in the kingdom of God. And what seems weak to the world is powerful and strong within the kingdom of God, this upside-down, backwards kingdom. In fact, there's a, there's a story in um, 2 Samuel 18, and it's about this nation, Israel, uh, needing to select or wanting to select their second king. God is selecting a different king for them. Saul has been their king, uh, but he is not led well, and God is going to replace him. And so he, he leads his prophet Samuel to a man named Jesse who has a bunch of sons. And he says, God has sent me here because one of your sons is going to be our king. Now, Jesse's mindset is, is that of strength in the world. Well, let me get my firstborn. He's the strongest. He's the most talented. Of course he would be the king. And he's brought before the prophet, and the prophet says no. And it goes to the second, and then the third. And then finally, he's like, do you have any other sons? He's got, oh, I got this runt out here. And we leave him with the sheep, and he's out watching them. And, and he is brought before the prophet, and the prophet says, this is our king. It's their king David. He was a pro prolific king and, and wrote much of the book of Psalms. And, and, and over and over again throughout Scripture, we see this upside down. What seems like weakness to the world around us, God redeems and uses for strength within his kingdom. So he's beginning to describe what this kingdom is like. And he does it by talking about blessing. Who's blessed? This word blessed is, is unmerited grace and favor. It's actually a state of privilege. Who is privileged and blessed in this kingdom? And who is he giving woes or warnings to? Who is blessed and who is he giving these warnings to? Now, as we read this, there, there's a few lenses or dynamics that this, this very famous sermon can be seen through. One of them is socially. The people who are listening to him teach, they're conquered by another nation. They're not in a strength of power. They're not in a, a place of wealth and influence and authority. They are downtrodden. And he is speaking to them at a societal level. There, there is a lens of this that is prophetic. 
that God is talking about a kingdom that is unending, that is going to outlive this physical kingdom that we see. And if we are experiencing strife and hardship now, it is not forever. The kingdom of God will outlast. But he's also talking about the human condition, the condition of our heart and how we relate to the blessings and woes that we'll read. So let's look at this starting in verse 20. Looking at his disciples, he says, Jesus says, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man, because of himself. Rejoice in that day and leave for joy, because great is your reward in heaven, for that is how their ancestors treated the prophets. Jesus begins describing his kingdom by saying, blessed are you who are poor. And it seems so backwards from what we would aspire to, from our natural inclinations. And, and, and we have to realize that, that Jesus isn't elevating poverty. He, he's not saying, blessed are you because of your poverty. Rather, he's talking about their poverty of spirit, their poverty of heart. One commentary says, says this um, in reading, blessed are the poor. Immediately, this statement strikes us with strangeness. Blessed by being poor. That makes no sense, yet... The power and wisdom in this truth lies in the fact that it is the poor person who must look for others for what they need. They have no illusion about their ability to provide for themselves. Blessed are you when you are poor in spirit because you have, have removed yourself, have gone beyond the illusion that you can provide for yourself what your heart truly needs and desires. Blessed are you when you realize that I am bankrupt in heart and poor in spirit and I am in need of someone else bringing me what I cannot bring to myself. In, uh, in the book Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes about this, this idea of lesser gods, this idea of, of, of lesser things that we can fill our heart with, this this, this heart that was created to be in communion with God, that, that we can occupy it with other things that are unsatisfying and are less. It's kind of like when my family um, plays Monopoly. During the early, the early days of the pandemic, we got on a kick of playing those really long games like Risk and Monopoly for hours and hours. And, and, and in playing Monopoly, you, if you're winning, you can accumulate all this money, right? And it's, it's pretty fun. I had a good run. I won like three games in a row. I'm just taking kids, my money from my kids, making them cry and, and amassing this, this, all of this wealth, all of the properties. Once I had Park Avenue, they were toast. But if I were to take all of this Monopoly money to Bank of the West to deposit it, what would happen? It's, it's counterfeit. It's, it's less than. It doesn't actually represent anything of value other than maybe a little bit of bragging rights. Blessed are you when you're poor in spirit because you realize you've accepted the idea there is nothing 
There is nothing that can sustain the needs and desires, the truest needs and desires of my heart and my life except for God, and I am destitute until he gives me what I need. Blessed are you when you're poor in the spirit because the kingdom of God will be yours. You reserve this space for nothing short than the kingdom of God. We reserve this space for nothing less than the life-sustaining presence of Jesus. He says, blessed are you when you hunger because you will be satisfied. And there are few more powerful influences in our lives than hunger, than real, true hunger. In fact, it's, it's one of the reasons that, that we embrace the, uh, the, the discipline of, of fasting, that we intentionally set aside eating food for a window of time and allow that physical hunger to awaken our spiritual hunger, to allow that physical hunger to teach us how to spiritually hunger for what only God can sustain. Hunger is a powerful, powerful influence in our lives. I, uh, a couple years ago, was on this epic, epic, long, long trail run. And I was just going for it, running through the woods for hours and hours, and did not bring enough food, and didn't realize it till I was in the middle of nowhere. And I'm quite dramatic about not having food. It was, it was concerning to me. My blood sugar's getting low. I'm getting cranky, and I'm in the middle of the woods, trying to figure out what I'm going to do. And so I'm, I'm trying to keep going forward. And I come around this corner, and I come up to this, this log that had fallen that someone had lined up gummy bears on. It was the weirdest thing. I'm like, this is manna from heaven, or someone has a video camera on me. I have no idea what's happening. They were unwrapped. There was no wrapper, no package, and they were larger than regular gummy bears. They were stacked up. There was about six of them stacked up on this log, and I looked at them, and my fully developed frontal cortex said, Adam, you can't eat those. You don't know what those are. You don't know where those have been. But hunger is a powerful influence. I'm not going to tell you what happened. No, I definitely ate them. I, and it was okay. I'm still here. Hunger can drive us. When we hunger and thirst for God, it drives us to be unsatisfied with anything less. When we allow hunger within us not to be muted with other things in our lives and other distractions, but when we allow that hunger to push us towards God, to lead us into moments and seasons of prayer and to worship because I'm unsatisfied with anything that this world can provide, what I need is the bread of life, who is Jesus. The only thing that will satisfy my heart is the bread of life. And that hunger, blessed are you when you hunger because you will be satisfied with the only thing that can satisfy that truest and deepest hunger. Blessed are you when you weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when you weep, when you mourn, when you lament before God, when you bring what is broken in your life what is broken in the world around us and weep before God. It's actually a demonstration of our faith and belief in his power 
to bring healing and restoration and peace to this world. When I was in, in middle school as a child, my family um, had a, a baby that lived with us. Um, we, he was a foster child of ours for about a year. And we got him, baby Nathan, when he was about four months old. And he came to live with us, lived with us for about a year. And when he first lived with us, um, he, he was, it was just a unique situation. I had been around a lot of babies. I'm the youngest of five. And at this point, my siblings had already had kids. I've been an uncle since I was one years old. I've been around babies a ton. And, and Nathan was different in other babies in that he never cried. For months and months living in our home, never cried. Not in the day, not in the night, not when he would wake up, not if he was hungry, not if he was cold, not if he was afraid. He would not cry. He wouldn't make contact with us. Babies usually are looking for someone to tell them who they are, to tell them that they're loved, to tell them that they're secure, and they coo, and they make you smile and laugh at them, and they, they bring affection out of you because they need that, and, and he would never engage that. And, and I remember weeks into it, my mom just being so concerned because she had raised other kids, and this was so unique and different, and, and the foster worker came and said, this is actually common when a baby has been in an environment where their cries mean nothing where they do cry because they're hungry and they're ignored, where they are looking for those signals but are, but are ignored. And so what do they do? They, they cease to weep because they don't believe their weeping actually does anything. They cease to look. They cease to try to find affection because they don't think that it's there. And it was a, a great day. We got to keep him for, for one year, and we wanted to, very much wanted to adopt him, but it, it just didn't work out. But on the last day that we had him, um, he had started crawling. Um, he was getting ready to walk. He was cooing and laughing and would engage with us. He was definitely crying. He learned how to cry. And he had crawled over to the dog food and spilt it out all over the floor. And we were just like, yeah, we're crying and laughing. And it was like him engaging and being normal. And it was such a beautiful moment. But, but I, I learned that when we bring what's broken about our lives to God, we are actually displaying faith in his goodness as our Abba Father to care and to heal us. When we lament about the broken things in the world around us, when we weep and cry before God, we don't do it in vain. We do it because we know he is good and that he hears and that he responds. Blessed are those of us who weep because we have a revelation of a good father who cares, who wants to wipe every tear away, who wants to be fully present with us, to comfort us and to heal us. Blessed is those who weep, for we will laugh, a laughter of true peace and joy. And then he says, blessed are you when they hate you, when they exclude you, when they insult you, when they reject you for my name's sake. Blessed are you even when that happens. Because if you choose to be part of the kingdom of God, at some point in our society, you're going to find yourself swimming upstream from everyone else around you. And in those moments, he says, blessed are you because you have to realize you're a part of a kingdom that will last. All these other kingdoms, physical or otherwise, are going to pass away, but my kingdom will never pass. Blessed are you when you live faithfully the norms and the customs of my kingdom. 
because my kingdom will last. He leads us with these blessings, these places of privilege, these places of, of unmerited favor that we're invited to live into, to be a people who mourn, a people who hunger, a people who weep, a people who even in the face of, of having to live different and at times difficult lives, realize that God is inviting us into the life of his kingdom. And it continues with woes in verse 24. These warnings. It says, But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will go hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for this is how they did the, the, their ancestors treated the false prophets. These warnings. Woe to you, to these lesser gods. These things that seek to set up home in our hearts, the place that was created for only God's presence. And in, in our setting in, in, in 2022, in the, the place that we live and the things that we have access to, these warnings have to ring extra true. We have so much vying for our attention, so much in our world that is promising so much with its kingdom that, that we will find fulfillment, that we'll find laughter, that we'll truly be satisfied. This is readily available in our moment, in our context. And this warning is for us to not be a people that reach for the lesser God, that reach for the distraction, for the easier thing, but to be a people who brace poverty of heart, to say, I know only God can give me what I truly need to be satisfied, who embrace what it means to weep, who embrace these virtues that God has invited us into and not satisfied with something far less. This is the, the sermon, the beginning of a sermon that Jesus is, is teaching us and is teaching that the listeners in, in Luke about his kingdom. What does this mean for us today? What invitation is this for us today? It's firstly an invitation to be people in need of Jesus. To be people in need of Jesus to be aware of our need, to not minimize it, to not hide from it, to not compartmentalize it away, to not try to find substitutions, but to be the places where we feel fatigued or tired or full of doubt or downtrodden or angry or saddened, to say that this is the need that's pushing me now into the presence of God and I will hunger and thirst for what only he can satisfy. I mean, I, I know for myself, my, my compulsion is to either solve, fix, or distract any challenges in my world, whatever they might be, relational, physical, financial, whatever they are. I want to solve, fix, or distract myself from those places. And yet the invitation is to allow what is broken in our world to actually push us further towards this good Father. Uh, one of my, my favorite quotes from Augustine, um, very simple quote, he says, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. That we were made for the presence of God. 
We were made to be vessels containing the Spirit of God, and our hearts will always be restless. Whatever substitute we might find, it'll come to an end. It'll come to a false conclusion. Our hearts will be restless until we come as needy people to God and say, I am poor, I am hungry, I am grieving. God, I come before you for what you can satisfy. To be a people, an invitation to be a people in need of our Jesus. And an invitation to be part of this kingdom of God. Now, when I, when I came to faith as a, maybe a young teenager, maybe a little bit younger than that, the, the phrase that was taught to me and reintroduced over and over is that Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior. You guys, I'm sure you probably, some of you have heard that, personal Lord and Savior. And I, and I get the concept behind it, that God is grand and the, the span of the universe is in his palm and he's so big and, and yet he, he's also present at a personal level. And I, I, I get what that means, but, but if we are a part of the kingdom of God, it's bigger than just me and my personal Lord and Savior. That I'm called to share my life with you guys. And you're called to share your life with me. That we're called to disciple one another. That we're called to disciple generations behind us. That we're called to be citizens of this kingdom, to lean in and to be part of these customs, to be part of what it means to be in his kingdom that we're called to be his advocates. 2 Corinthians 5 says that, that we are ambassadors of Jesus. We are his spokespeople to this world as citizens of his kingdom. We represent his kingdom. We're invited into living this out fully, to be people in need of Jesus over and over and over again, and to be people who lean into his kingdom. I'm going to ask our, our band to come forward. We're going to end our time um, with singing about this Jesus. And um, we're, we're going to go to the tables. Um, there's, there's communion tables um, set up in the wings, and there's some communion elements available up, upstairs. Uh, if, if you're watching uh, from at home, this is a moment to go grab some communion elements for yourself. But but as we think about this kingdom that God has invited us into, that like every kingdom, there, there, there's borders. But, but the border is actually relationship with Jesus. That he is at the door of our heart knocking to be in relationship with us. There's authority in this kingdom. And it's our king. It's Jesus. There's, a, there's, there's norms and customs in this kingdom. And it's, it's us growing in the likeness of Jesus. It's us growing as disciples. And there's exchange in this kingdom. And the exchange rate is heavily in our favor. That we get to go to these tables with these elements that represent our king's blood spilled for us and our king's body broken for us. Because he is the humble king who went to a very, very high extent to be with us. And we get to come to these tables and exchange our brokenness. We get to come to this table in need, poor and broken, in mourning. And we get exchanged. We get life. This is what we're invited into as we take communion today. I'm going to pray for us. 
the band is going to lead us in a song, and as they begin to lead, I'm going to invite you to, to walk to the, the aisles and take communion. If you're at home, you can take communion on your own. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you for the words of this, this teaching, this sermon that you gave. There's such freedom and liberation to know. Um, we're not a people expected to figure things out, to clean up our lives, to make ourselves right so that we can come before the king. But you're the king who went for us, even in your own peril and sacrifice. So today we, we take these elements, the juice and the bread, and we remember, we remember our king and we worship you. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen.